Does everyone have a piece of paper and a pen? Wonderful. Great. Um, I wanted to ask you to write something on it, not for anyone else to see, necessarily. Um, I wanted you to write your job title on that piece of paper. Now, for some of you, that might be really easy, but for others, you might have to create a job title for yourself, thinking of all the different things you do. So I don't want necessarily a description, just a job title. You don't have to share it with anyone. So if you think about all the things that you do during the week, if you haven't got a specific job title, then create one for yourself. But if you've already got one, you want to use that. You could, you, that's all we're doing on this bit of paper. So just writing a job title. So don't have, don't have to write it tiny so we fit on lots of other things. That's all I'm asking. Just a job title. Create one title. It can, you can choose one. You can create a new one for yourself that encompasses everything that you do. Or you can just use the title that you've been given if you've got a title in your job. That make sense? Oh, yes. Now, some of you, I'm sure, will have found that fairly easy. I say, write a job title. You've gone, oh, yeah, I've got a job title. I'll write that down. Especially if you've got a specific job, like, you know, a teacher or technician or gardener or librarian or something like that. A title that you've been given by virtue of a paid role that you have. But some of us have probably found it slightly trickier. Job title. But I'm retired But I do lots of different things. I haven't got one specific title, maybe some of you are thinking. We might not know what our job title is. We might not think that we have a job title. We might not want one. We might have found it very difficult. I, for one, struggle to do things like this when I think of job titles. Not because I don't have a title, but more because I do have a title. I find it difficult, for instance, when... I'm having a conversation with someone and we're getting on fairly well and things are going all right and suddenly they say, oh, so what is it that you do? And I think, oh. And inside I'm sort of cringing because I think, well, I know that this could go one of two ways when I tell them that I'm a minister. I know that either this person will get overly excited like I'm some specimen they've not seen before you're a minister and a woman and you don't look like a minister because apparently ministers look like a certain thing or if they don't get overly excited then the conversation will end oh right, tumbleweed will blow across or even worse people might actually show an interest and then they turn to me and they say oh is it that you do then? What do you do during the week? And there follows a whole other conversation of misunderstandings and confused looks. Because, you know, many people today, when they think about what we do, it's, it's very important to them. 
our role, our job title, is very important. It can put us on the right place on the social map for many people. Because if our title is right, if it's accepted and understood to be important, we can feel quite secure. We can feel that we might have a little bit of influence. We can feel we're self-sustaining. We can feel confident about life, about things. But if we can't describe what we do, or we feel that we haven't got a job title, we can feel quite the opposite. We can feel in some ways that we're dropping off the edge of the social map of which we once had a role. And that our usefulness and our influence is a little bit diminished. This is the way that societies work, isn't it? Certain roles are deemed to be very important, while others often don't carry the same kind of influence. And so we can end up, if we're not careful, treating ourselves and other people in very different ways, depending on where we find ourselves on the social map of the day. Which is not a new thing, of course. This is how societies evolve and function. It was the same in Jesus' day, too. The social structure was there for the Jewish world. They had a way in which they functioned. And it was also the way that the Roman world functioned, in which the Jewish world was part. In the Jewish world, of course, the important people of the time, those with the right job title, those who had influence on the day, were the Pharisees. They were the guardians of God's law. They were the protectors of God's ways. And they knew themselves to be important They had an important job title. They were looked up to. By some, they were feared. They were often revered by people. And they believed this hype that they were important, that they were the people that were closer to God than anyone else. And they showed this. Most obviously, in their religious observances, they gave to needy people in front of everyone so that all would see and marvel at their holiness. And they also prayed. They prayed very important prayers in very public places, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So that all could know that these were important, holy people. And all could see their religious skills and marvel at this role that God had given them in the centre of society. While normal, everyday Jewish people scrabbled around trying to find their offerings and their pleadings to make sure that they didn't fall off the social map or they weren't pushed to the edges where no one could touch them. This was the Jewish society in which Jesus lived, one dominated by religious hierarchy, where some were deemed to be very important, more able to be heard by God because of the role that they had. Which is why when Jesus teaches the disciples and the crowds in the Sermon on the Mount here in the book of Matthew, he does it in a way that is counter to this culture that has been set up where there are important people and unimportant people. He does it in a way that seeks to turn everything on its head. He does it in a way that seeks to unhinge these long-held beliefs that if you were on the edge of society, no one was to touch you, no one cared about you, and God wasn't bothered. He did it to show that these social structures were not the way of Almighty God. Which is why when he starts to talk about prayer, he begins in rather a strange way, really, by saying, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. 
Or if you like, when you pray, do not be like those who you believe are held high in God's eyes. When you pray, do not be like those who think their job title makes them important. When you pray, do not be like those who see praying to God as an extension of this important role which they have. Coming to him when the time is right and when people are watching. When you pray, do not be like the Pharisees who are at the centre of your society. And equally, Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the pagans who think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like those who think that their position is so low before the gods that they have no influence and no importance and therefore use ritualistic prayers, pleading, begging, urging so that the gods will look upon them with favour, perhaps, if they do everything right. When you pray, says Jesus, do not take on the social constraints of the day. Do not let your position and title affect the way you approach God. Instead, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When you pray, says Jesus, whoever you are, whatever position you believe you have, However you feel about your life's role in society, when you pray, pray as a child of God. Approach God as he longs to be approached. Not with roles in mind, not with positions in view, not with pleadings as if we have nothing to offer, but instead as his child, freed from the chains and restraints of society, loved cherished, forgiven, restored, because this is who you are. Whether life has dealt you the biggest slice of the pie or just thrown you some of the crumbs. So when you pray, remember this. Remember who you are. Our Father, a child of God. And realign yourself with your true position. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And once you've done this, recognise again that it's not your agenda or your works that make a difference in the world, but God's, his kingdom come, his will be done. Because he's the one who heals the sick, he's the one who frees the prisoners, he's the one who binds up the brokenhearted, not you, with your role and your title and your influence, but God. When you pray, don't just say these words by rote as a ritual handed down over the ages, but instead allow them to lead you to your rightful place before God, recognising once again that it is our Father who provides our daily bread. It is our Father who forgives us our debts. It is our Father who leads us not into temptation. 
It is our Father who delivers us from the evil one. It is our Father who we are reliant on for all things. Not our role, not our position, not our influence or lack of influence, but our Father. So when you pray, says Jesus, pray to him as his child in this way. Now you know when Jesus gave this prayer to the disciples, in a sense it was not new to them. It was not new like when we read the Bible and it's new to us. The Jews have been reciting similar prayers for years. They understood God as a father to the nation of Israel. That was how they saw themselves. They knew of total reliance on him. They've got a history of a people being loved and redeemed by God again and again. They understood that they had a calling to carry out God's ways, not their own, but God's ways. It was in their DNA. This was the kind of prayer that they prayed together. However, over the years, as time grew further and further away from when they'd last heard God's voice through the prophets, over the years of God's seeming silence between the Old and the New Testament, life had become a little bit skewed and they'd forgotten a little what their position was before God and all that came from that position as a child of God. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees had attempted to keep things on track with their own interpretation of the law and their importance had grown as the everyday person had diminished. So here when Jesus talks about how to pray, he's not just talking about prayer. This is what you should say. He's actually doing much more than that. He's actually inviting the disciples to come back to the basics of who they are and what that actually means for the way they live their lives. Do you know, recently, um, James has started to play for the local... Cottenham Colts under 10s team. I think it's under 10s. I lose track of the ages. I don't know. Um, and he was, he's a goalkeeper. I really wish he'd take up another position because, you know, the goalkeeper, if they make a mistake, well, it's a goal. And you're standing there going, oh, no. But he's really good. But the thing is, he did have a game the other week and it all went a little bit horribly wrong, not just for him, for everyone say and they lost 9-2 and it was a bit terrible and we were all thinking just blow the whistle just stop it now (laughs) fine but you have to carry on don't you and you could see it was terrible you could see his shoulders dropped and his head went down and you could see he was just feeling terrible about it and after the match he said mommy I was embarrassed about what happened. And I said, oh, honey, you know, it's, it's fine. It's a game and it's okay. I said, but what, let's think of what we can do to help you to feel better if things like that start to happen. And so we decided that what, what he would do was this, that if a goal went in, okay, a goal's gone in. Can't do anything about that now. Forget it. We'll reset. We'll pretend it's nil-nil and we'll go again like it's nil-nil. We'll reset ourselves. Well, then... During the next week, he had a game against another school, uh, school team, against school team. And I went to watch, and I have to say, I was absolutely terrified, because I thought, if he gets in a panning again, that'll be it, won't it? And every time it went near the goal, I'm grabbing onto the woman next to me. I'm going, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. She's like, it's fine, Kate. He's doing fine. I'm like, okay, okay. One goal went in, and I thought, oh, no, this is it. 
And he looked at me and he went, and I thought, oh. And at the end of the game, they won 2-1. That was brilliant. At the end of the game, he came and he went, I did it, Mummy. I did it. I reset. And I went again. And I thought, brilliant. Isn't that great? You know, I reset and I went again. And you know, in this whole Sermon on the Mount, but particularly in this prayer, it's as if Jesus is calling the disciples and us in a culture and society that has skewed value and importance until it's almost unrecognisable, to reset ourselves, to reset ourselves in the way of God. Not to continue to live following the rules of the culture and the society around us, thinking of those who are important and those who are less important, but to reset ourselves in the ways of God so that we can go again as the children of God. Because in saying this prayer or using this prayer as guidance, depending on how we use it, we are first and foremost reminded of our identity as children of God. Not of our job title or our role or lack of it, however we see ourselves, but of our identity as a child of God. We are aligning ourselves with God's ways. We are saying we are your children. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your ways be known. And we are taking on the attitude of total reliance on him as his children. Our father who sustains us. Our father who forgives us. Our father who empowers us. Our father who protects us. Because living effectively for God, as Jesus well knew, is not about job title or description. It's not about what we do or what roles we have been given. It's not about trying harder. It's not about having the energy and the drive and the provision to make things happen. It's not about finding ourselves in a good place and therefore we can serve God because we've got influence and we've got power and we can do it. It's simply about allowing God to meet us wherever we're at as our Father and to work in and through our lives each day. And this can only happen if we constantly reset ourselves, reminding ourselves of who we are, of why we are here, of who it is we are dependent on every single day. And we can do this through the Lord's Prayer. Not a prayer that invites God into our world or calls him to favour what we're doing but rather a prayer that invites us to recognise who he is, who we are, and what we are a part of in his big picture of things.